0: If you would like to borrow a Bible this morning, you can raise your hand and the ushers will bring you a Bible and you can just leave it in the, pr- the pew after you are done. Now, you know that when we're done here, we have this picnic in the park across the street. Now, for those of you who are new, you may think, okay, there's no way I'm going to go to that because you think I don't know anybody. Well, let me just kind of tip you off right now. A significant amount of people sitting next to you right now are new. This is the way it happens in our church. The summer, the students are gone. I mean, we're, we're missing like 150 students right now that like would fill in the slots here. So they're gone. So you can see each other more now. And there's, this is a time where a lot of other people leave and take other jobs and do other things, and then new people come in. And that's, that's a lot of you right now, but you just don't know it. You think that everybody else has been here forever, and you're like this only new person here. Wrong. Okay, so let me just encourage you to do this. Go get some food, come to the park, and just hang out. It'd be a good time. And if you're a student, I know, I remember when I used to go to churches over the summer as a student, it'd be kind of weird, like, oh, I don't want to go talk to grown-up people. Just go talk to grown-up people, all right? Go get some food, come to the park, and talk to big people. This is great. We'll, we'll love to talk to you. We're not scary that much. And so, just encourage you to come. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 11. We're going through Matthew right now, for those of you who are new. We go through books of the Bible, right now we're going through Matthew, and whatever's up. We preach, and, and I know that Matthew 11, for some of you, has the most uh, famous verses in there that many of you love and cherish. It's, it, remember those scriptures about, come to me, remember that, come to me, oh, you are weary, and remember that, it's wonderful, you're like, yes, you need that. But before we get to those verses, we're going to talk about wrath and condemnation. That's just, that's kind of the run-up. It's just what's there. And that's what we do. We, we preach what's in the text, and Jesus says both. He gives both this, this condemnation, and he also gives this invitation to rest. And this morning, we're, we're going to see both. And what, one of the things I want us to do is I want us to get excited about getting in the Word. This morning, my, my wife and I had so much fun. We had the spur of the moment, five minutes. Oh, She's not even in here. I don't even see her. But five minutes, we got to sit down, sit down, and she showed me all of her old concert ticket stubs from the '80s. It was like Duran Duran, George Michael, Wham. I know some of you are like, "What? Who are these people?" Bon Jovi, Aerosmith, Guns N' Roses. I'm like, "Man, woman, you went to a lot of concerts." And she had fun, and we were like, "Yeah, remember that?" And just we're just reminiscing and getting all excited. But I just want you know, but we both would agree, my wife and I, that we want to get more excited about the Word of God and excited as we see what Jesus has done in history and, and what He's doing now. So let's let's get excited. Come on, let's get excited about the Word. Let's stand up and let me read this to you. Matthew chapter eleven, starting in verse twenty. Let me read it to you. You'll be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for, for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus, he shows up on the scene of these specific towns in Israel. And while he was there, he starts performing all these magnificent miracles. And the crowd was all stirred up with a significant amount of enthusiasm. So the, the towns were very enthusiastic. But Jesus was not looking for enthusiasm. Jesus was looking for Repentance. Look what it says in verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Repentance has been a key feature of his preaching and teaching from the very beginning. If you remember from the beginning of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, I'll put this up for you. It says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why is Jesus really big on repentance? Well, the king has showed up on the scene and now it's time to change. It's time to turn from your old ways of sin and turn to him in faith. It is time for repentance. But these cities, you know, they're all pumped up and they're all enthusiastic at first with regard to all these miracles. But what's happening is that they see the miracles And they carry on with life as usual, and they refuse to repent. So if you've ever met someone in your life that said to you, if Jesus showed up right now on the scene and he started working miracles like he did back then, then I would for sure repent and put my faith in him. But that's not always the case. Here we have entire towns that should have known that their Messiah was showing up on the scene and they should have been tipped off by all the miracles and the preaching and yet they did not repent. So for them, Jesus was just an entertaining sideshow rather than God's main event for the world. Their their condemnation is just... He says, Woe to you in verse 21. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Tyre and Sidon were these pagan cities in the Old Testament. You can read about them in Ezekiel, where they were full of idol worship and they were full of arrogant opposition to God and his people. And Jesus is making a little comparison here. He's saying, if these pagan Gentile cities, if I showed up to them in the Old Testament, they would have repented. But now I'm showing up to these Jewish cities who should know better that I am the Messiah, and you're not repenting. And he's saying, it's going to be worse for them than for you. Look at verse 22. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment For Tyre and Sidon, than for you. I don't know if you ever thought thought about this before, but Jesus seems to be indicating degrees of judgment or degrees of punishment. Some even say, uh, put it this way, a degrees of punishment in hell. I don't know if you ever thought about that before, but it seems to indicate that Chorazin and Bethsaida had a greater degree of revelation in that. Jesus actually showed up on the scene in their town. And so therefore, since they rejected him and they did not repent, they're going to be judged greater than these Old Testament cities who had no such revelation. So I'm sure it's a big theological study if you ever want to get into it and try to understand, wow, there's going to be degrees of punishment in hell. That's that's an interesting concept, huh? The greater the revelation, the greater the accountability, and the greater the judgment. And he's not just done with these other cities. Look at what he says about his ministry base, Capernaum. Look at verse 23 and 24. This is Jesus' main ministry base. This is Wheaton, Illinois. This is Colorado Springs, Colorado. This This is where all the Christians are or should be. Look what happens. Verse 23 and 24. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? you'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, that I'll be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Whoa, that's serious stuff he's saying there. Once again, comparison to the Old Testament city. For those of you who don't even know Old Testament, you've heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know of the perversity of of those cities. And here is Sodom is saying, if they would have witnessed what Jesus was doing, if he showed up in their city, they would have repented. Wow. And Capernaum should have known better. They were proud, and they were thinking, "We're an awesome city. Surely we're going to be exalted to heaven." He says, "No, you're going to be brought down low to Hades," which is an expression, a reference to eternal condemnation. And if you ever read your Bibles, you kind of you kind of want to go, "What in the world did Capernaum do?" C- can you find any instance where Jesus showed up in Capernaum, and they like all the people there said, "Let's get him! Let's kill him! It's Jesus!" Is there any indication in your Bible of how naughty Capernaum was? No, not really. No, they, I don't think the city the residents of Capernaum ever thought to themselves, we're going to make this plot and we're going to kill Jesus or we're going to uh, just get him. You see, the main issue with Capernaum is this, is indifference. They were just indifferent. The Messiah showed up, did some miracles. Cool, huh, whatever. And for those of you who've never thought about this concept of degrees of punishment, you can just, you can just bring it into our day and time and, and think about this. There are people who sit in churches week after week, their whole lives as little bitty kids, and they grew up in the church, and they're, they're not following Christ, but they're exposed to so much revelation of Jesus through the word of God. And, and i would say their accountability is very great and perhaps even their degrees of punishment in hell for rejecting christ for sunday after sunday being exposed to it and yet rejecting christ and is it because they're defiant is it because they are you know sticking the finger in god's face no you know what it is often just indifference eh, who cares ah, it doesn't matter That's great, great miracles. People's lives are changed all around you. Oh, that's great for them. The issue is indifference. And I think one of the wonderful things about the Word of God being presented to you this morning is you're being, I don't know who you are, by the way, this is a chance for you to be called out on your indifference and given an opportunity to repent. To repent and say, I've been indifferent my whole life in church. I've been indifferent with Jesus Christ. It's just your opportunity to repent and be forgiven and received by the Father through the finished work of Christ. This is a great opportunity for you. So Jesus is continuing to talk. And look what he says next. This is, it gets even more amazing. We move on from this judgment concept to Jesus praising his Father for it. Look at verse 25 and 26. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. This is good stuff. Here we go. The choice of salvation clearly lies with God. The choice of salvation clearly lies under the sovereignty of God. So in God's sovereignty, as as you can see here, he's the Lord of heaven and earth. He has concealed the revelation of Jesus from the proud and self-sufficient, who according to this world, it says here, are wise and understanding. And he thanks his father, not just for this concealment, but he also thanks the father for revealing the truth of Jesus to little children. The little children are, 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 are adults who see their need. They're open like little children are. And so whatever God says, or whatever he reveals, they're going to do. But the wise and understanding of the world, they consider the followers of Jesus to be insignificant like children. Yet it was God's gracious will to reveal Jesus to them and not the proud. And you will see this pattern throughout the Bible, what God will consistently Go after the spiritually broken, the poor in spirit, those who are mourning and humble, and He will continue to reject the arrogant of this age. This past Thursday morning at our evangelism class, which I would encourage you—you you can still come to—our uh, teacher uh, Trent was comparing and contrasting from John four and five, sorry, John three and four, the concept of Nicodemus and the woman at the well. Remember the sinful woman. Nicodemus was Israel's teacher, perhaps a very popular teacher. He knew the Scripture. He should have known that Jesus was the Messiah. But we really don't have a clear indication that Nicodemus came to faith and went all out for Jesus. Maybe he was part of the wise understanding or the arrogant and the proud. But the chapter right after, we have this sinful woman who's had several husbands. She is very immoral. Maybe she's even a prostitute. And you're thinking, that woman's never going to come to faith. No way. And what happens? She starts following Jesus. She goes back to her town, starts preaching the gospel there. Come on. Come come meet this man. You're like, well, how did that happen? Well, that's what God does. That's what God does. He he will bring people to salvation. You never thought would come to salvation. You thought the wise and the the, the high and mighty in our society would figure this out and come to faith in Christ. And what you often see is is often the humble and the broken, wow, they're the ones that start following Christ. And you see, that's, that's a work of God. Well, Jesus isn't done. He says the same thing again in a different way in verse 27 in his prayer. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now, this is crucial verse right here. So Jesus, he's talking about this intimate relationship he has with the Father. It's intimate, it's exclusive, it's a relationship that has always existed throughout time. And as the, authority, as the, the Father has the authority to reveal divine revelation to the Son, so the son also has the authority to reveal the father to anyone he so chooses. It says no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. So Jesus, i will make sure you understand this, Jesus is the son of God who makes the sovereign choice of who will know the father. So the father has this sovereign ability where he can reveal Jesus to the humble and needy children, and the Son has authority to reveal the Father to them. And if you just want to sum it up for you, the choice of salvation clearly lies within the sovereignty of God. The Father conceals and reveals, and the Son reveals the knowledge of the Father. Just to put it in everyday English for you, God has to do a work in someone's life in order for them to know Jesus. That's just the way it is. God has to do a work in someone's life in order for them to know Jesus. And to some people, that statement is so controversial. We like to think that we are human beings, we can figure this out, and the total authority lies with us, and if we want to be saved, we're going to to be saved or we're not going to be saved. It's all about us, and God has nothing to do with it. But I'm going to tell you, according to the Scriptures, you'll see it pretty consistent. If someone's going to be saved, God has to do a sovereign work in their life. And for me, I don't see it as controversial. I take it as an encouragement. This past Thursday, in the afternoon, I went to Rogers Park with our church planner, Jeremiah Vaught. That guy is getting it done. Encourage that guy when you see him. He's planning a church. We're planning a church in Rogers Park. So I was hanging out with him at the uh, Red Line stop there, and we were sharing Jesus with people. And so we're, we're, we're spreading the gospel and talking to people about Christ. And some of the conversations we had with people, I thought to myself, internally, this person is never going to come to faith in Christ. They are so against Jesus, they're so hardened in their heart, never going to come to faith in Christ. But what does the scripture say? God does a sovereign work to bring about salvation to those he so chooses to at his time and his way, because I guarantee you, if you saw me before I became a Christian, you would never think I would become a Christian. I guarantee you. I was immoral, in your face, cussing, angry. I was a thief. There's no way you would ever say, yeah, that guy's going to become a Christian, and he's going to preach the word one day. No way. It's a sovereign work of God. And so as you live and you share with your neighbors, you share with your coworkers, and you think to yourself, never. It may be true. They may never come to faith in Christ. But I want to tell you this. I'll tell you this. It's a sovereign work of God. If they're going to be saved, he has to be working in their hearts, working on them to bring them and awaken them. It's his work. So now you're kind of wondering, okay, so if it's a sovereign work of God, where does human responsibility fall into this? I mean, are humans responsible at all? I mean, does humans even have a response? Is salvation, you just think, okay, God, he's just choosing this person or that person, so therefore, we shouldn't tell anybody the gospel. There should be no invitation. God's going to save who he's going to save. Uh-uh. Here's the catch. The invitation goes out to all. The gospel goes out to all. And we see Jesus doing that right here. Right after he talks about God's sovereign work in salvation, Then he gives an invitation. Look at his invitation. Verse 28. These famous words. Verse 28. Look at the invitation of Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is speaking to those who are weary and burdened. Not the wise, not the understanding, not the arrogant of this age. And these people are weary and they're burdened by their troubles. They're worried by the oppression of Rome. They're wearied by the fact that they can't make ends meet in life. And to top it all off, and to top it all off, they have religious leaders that are just piling on the religious stuff religious stuff that you have to do to make yourself right with God. So they're just basically piling on the guilt. And they hear Jesus' words. And he says, come to me. Come to me. Come away from your self-efforts. Come away from trying to uh, impress God. Come to me and I will give you rest. I I really want you to get the saying because could you imagine me saying this to you? Come to me. And I'll give you rest. I'm not going to show you where to find rest. You'll find rest in me. Wouldn't you think I'm a little weird? But Jesus can say that because he's the Son of God and he's saying to you right now, Come to me, come to me. You'll find rest from your, your messed up, heavy, sinful life, trying to make life work on your own. Come to me and I will give you rest. That means he will forgive our sins now, remove the guilt, remove the burden of sin now, and he'll also give us rest in eternity from the effects of sin. He's saying to you right now, come to me, come to him in faith, and he will give us rest. Look at verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls For those of you who want to know what a yoke is, uh, rather than explain it, let me just show you a picture. Here's a picture of a yoke. Yeah, that's a yoke that's on these oxen here so that they can do their work. It is uh, upon them. And Jesus is saying, is explaining these people that he's talking to have a heavy yoke upon them. Of the the burdens of the religious leaders. We saw this all in the Sermon on the Mount when there's all this pressure being put upon them. They have to do their external works in order to perform, in order for God to to love them. But Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So the, the concept is Jesus has a yoke to place upon you. It's not that when we follow Christ, we have no yoke. He has a yoke to put upon us. You see it in his teachings. You see it in the Sermon on the Mount. He has a yoke to place upon you. And for those of you who are part of another religion, you may wonder, well, why would I want to change the yoke of my religion, which is full of commands, for the yoke of Christianity, which is also has commands and a yoke as well? Why would you want to make that exchange? Well, look what Jesus says in verse 30. For my yoke is easy... And my burden is light. You see, Jesus' yoke is, is, is altogether different. Jesus' yoke is not like the yoke of the religious leaders that is piling on the heavy burdens. Jesus is not giving such a yoke to you. Jesus is, is not here to wear us out. Let's just start from the beginning. For starters... We are saved by grace through faith. So our starting point is that we are accepted by God through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, which means that we do not start from a point of trying to gain acceptance. We start from a point of following Jesus out of acceptance. So the yoke is that we are loved, we are accepted through his finished work, and out of that acceptance comes our obedience, And we're not just trying to obey by willpower or our own strength. We've had our hearts changed, and God's Holy Spirit takes up residence within us. So when we see the commands of Jesus come at us from the Sermon on the Mount or the rest of the Bible, we don't go, oh, those burdens, those commands are too great. We actually have the power of God's Spirit empowering us to obey. So his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. And if you want to check it once again, look at it again. It's not an oppressive yoke like the Romans because Jesus, he is gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus knows that you're fragile. He knows that you're emotional. He knows that you do foolish things. And yet he is gentle and humble in heart to deal with fragile sinners and he's not saying, we need you to get your act all together before I'll start loving you. He realizes that you do not have your act together. And at just the right time, he died for you. So it's not about a self-effort God that is just constantly pounding on you. Did you know there, there are religions, then religions that we create, man-made religions, that we view God as this God who's just this agitated master. I know some of you view God that way. He's just this agitated guy. He just, when you mess up, he just gets so frustrated. Maybe like your dad did or your mom would get so impatient with you and just smack you or something, just so agitated with you. God's not like that. Jesus is gentle. He is humble in heart. He'll deal gently with you. He'll have compassion upon you. He understands your state. He's saying, come to me, come to me, and you'll find rest for your souls. And you'll find an eagerness to obey him and welcome his, his yoke upon you. And as I was thinking about the rest this week, I was thinking of three types of people in here. I don't want to group you guys all up or have you stand when I call your group. But I, I think, I think there, there are three types of people in here because we all have unique ways that we wear ourselves out. Don't, isn't that true? We all have unique ways that we wear ourselves out. And, I, and that, that could be physically, but most often that's emotionally or spiritually. We all have unique ways that we wear ourselves out. And so I just want to kind of go through these three groups of people. I don't know where you're at. You're going to probably be in one of these. So let me start with the first. First group is these people. Number one, those who are wearied and trying to be religious to earn their way to heaven. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's someone you know. You're thinking, you know, why are you going to go to heaven? Be a good person and do good works. If I'm good enough, I'll get in. If not, oh well. But I'm going to give it a shot. So maybe those in here who are weary trying to be religious, I just want to set the record straight. For those of you who just want to understand the message of Christianity or you want to communicate the message of Christianity, the message of Christianity is not about your work. The message of Christianity is about the work of another. It's not about your work. It's not about you being good. It's about someone else who was good for you. That's the message, the gospel. That's why it's good news. That's what separates Christianity from everything else. It's good news. You can't do enough work. You can't be good enough. But there was one who did the work in your place, and his name is Jesus. He did the work of living a perfect life on this earth, the perfect substitutionary atonement on the cross, buried, raised again. And through faith in him, we are accepted. That means that when you put your faith in Jesus, God views you as righteous. He accepts you. One of the verses I was meditating on this week and memorizing this week, I want to share it with you. It comes from Romans chapter 4. Verse 5, beautiful scripture. And to the one who does not work, but trust him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. If you want to memorize the verse this week, this is the one to memorize. Basically, this means that we put our faith in Jesus. God views us as perfectly righteous in Christ. If you can embrace this truth of the gospel, it'll make you stop from your self-striving and rest in Christ alone. Because the Father is impressed with the work of Christ, and in him we have righteousness. Now, I don't want to move on from this, this group of people who are trying to earn their way to heaven. Because if that's you, let me just tell you, Christians do the same thing. We Christians, we slip back so often to this workspace acceptance. We know we get saved through faith in Jesus. We understand that. But in our personal lives, we slip back so often into workspace acceptance. We know that we want to have a close relationship with Jesus. We want to love him. We want to follow him. We want to feel close to him. And what do we do? We think, okay, I better start doing a lot of spiritual stuff. And sometimes when we start doing all these spiritual things, we can get so worn out. And we can take the yoke of Jesus and turn it into a burden. And so you've got to ask yourself that question this morning. Have you turned the gentle yoke into an unbearable burden? Have you taken this, this gentle yoke of Jesus and just made it so unbearable? I was reading this guy this past week. His name is Wilkins. And he, he just said, look, if you find yourself doing that, where you've turned this life of following Jesus into a burden, what you need to do is rather than start doing more and more stuff of your religious duty, you need to start trying to cultivate an intimate relationship. So rather than having a list of all the things you're going to do for God, maybe you just need to spend some time with him and just enjoy him and enjoy his yoke upon you and the relationship you have. You're not here to work to impress him. You're already impressed by him through Jesus. He loves you. All right, the second group of people, now you definitely don't want to be raising your hands and outing yourself here, but the second group of people is those who are wearied by their own idolatry. That's those in here, and you know who you are. You are stuck in this vicious cycle of sin, you're stuck in a vicious cycle of idolatry. And, and if that's you, you know how idolatry can wear us out. If there's anybody in here, who has problems with people in the sense of pleasing people, you need their approval, you need them to pat you on the back, you need them to just give you this affirmation. If you have a problem pleasing people, you will wear yourself out. Is that anybody here Well, you have just, like, you're just tired right now? One of the reasons you're tired is because you're trying to keep everybody happy. And you're just, you're, you're sick of it. And you're worn out. And so what's the burden of Jesus? What's his simple yoke? He says, you know what? I accept you through my finished work. The Father accepts you through my finished work. Come to me. Come to me alone for acceptance and you will find rest there. It's not going to be in people. It's going to be in me. And and I think of, of another popular idol within our congregation and it's such a tricky one because we never know if we're quite falling into it because most of the people in our congregation are crazy driven people. You guys are just crazy driven. Some of you are doing summer school for like the 10th summer in a row. You're like cranking it out, going for your ninth degree or something like that. And some of you are just cranking out the hours. And you've got to ask yourself, when does it cross the line from doing good, hard work where we're diligent for the Lord? And when does work become idolatry? Like when does that happen? And chances are, if you're very worn out physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and a lot of it's tied to your work, you've probably crossed that line a long time ago. And Jesus is saying, Come to me. Come on. Come to me. I'm not putting that burden on you. I accept you. You can work and do your job and do your school at a place where you're loved, not where you're trying to impress people, yourself, God, your family. I'm impressed through Jesus what he's done for you. Come to me. Come to me for rest. Well, here's the last group of people. And this pretty much includes all of us. Number three, those who are wearied by the effects of sin all around. Now, you're not only burdened by the sin around you, but some of you are just worn out. You're, you're trying to fix all these problems in your life, people are, are just messing with you, your circumstances are messing with you, your health, and you're just you're just burdened. And now I'm gonna I'm gonna do something. I don't like to do, but I'm gonna do it because I think it's very important. Um there's certain words I don't say <laughs> dirty words. <laughs> there are certain words that we don't say in our house, naughty words. Uh, so I'm reading a book right now and I'm not gonna say the word. I'm going to let you just read it, okay? This is the book I'm reading. I would encourage everybody to get this book, especially if you're like, yeah, that's me. That's, that, that book's by a reputable publisher, CCF, very solid counseling uh, counseling group. And maybe you said, yeah, I've, I've said that before, over and over again. Maybe that's your sentiments. And the author gives some examples. That's a really good summer reading there. Uh, he gives some examples of maybe husbands that feel expendable at work and unappreciated at home, or maybe there's some single people in here that you're in a relationship, it's just not going anywhere. Or you're a single person and you want a relationship to go somewhere <laughs> in life. Or maybe you're, you're, you're a mom and you're like, I have no identity and I have no life of my own. Or you're, you're a parent in here, you have grown children and they're prodigals. Or you're a victim of crime, you're a victim of abuse, uh, of maybe someone's betrayed you. Maybe you're a graduate in here, you've got a four-year degree, now you can't get a job. Or you're an adult, you're going through a divorce, you've been through a divorce, and it's, it's difficult for you and your children. Whoever you are, you know that chances are you may have expressed those sentiments before. It's, it's, it's hard living in a sinful world where the burdens uh, can sometimes overwhelm us and wear us out. And I just want to tell you, Jesus is saying, come on, come on, come to me for rest. Come on, come to me for rest. You don't have to figure this out. You don't have to fix your wife, your husband, your kids, your friends. You don't have to fix this. Come on, come to me for rest. Come on, come on to me. Come for me. For, I know your burden. Come on, take my yoke upon you. Learn from my ways. Learn how to maneuver in life from me. Come on. Come to me for rest. And I believe that when we come to Jesus for rest, I'm going to step out on a limb here and I'm going to say, I think it is something you will experience. I think it's actually something you will feel. I don't think Jesus is saying, come to me for rest, and you're not going to feel it. It's just going to be something psychological going on. No, you're actually going to feel rest. And I remember uh, 20 years ago I was saved this summer. It's like a little anniversary here. We should have a party. Picnic in the park, my 20th anniversary of my salvation. See you afterwards. But anyway, 20 years ago, I was saved. And I remember when I got saved out of my life of sin, I really felt rest. Like, for one of the first times, I feel rested. There is something that just dropped off of me. There is a peace I cannot explain. It is well with my soul. I can't explain it. And the same thing happens maybe when you're stuck in a pattern of idolatry, of sin. You ever ever had this? And then you you repent, and you don't do it anymore, and you're forgiven. I actually feel inside eternal eternal rest. uh, Jesus is actually doing a work in me. And when I feel the burdens of this world and the troubles of this world crowning in around me, and I go to Jesus and say, help Give me your sovereign control and your love. I actually feel and experience rest. So what I'm calling you today is to come to Jesus. Come to him by faith. And I believe by the power of God, you will experience his rest. So wherever you're at, whatever category you're in, we're going to go to this time of prayer. As you go to this time of prayer, I want you to actually pray in your head and from your heart to God and experience the rest of Christ. So let's go to the Lord right now in prayer. Lord, please hear our prayers now. For those of you in here who are tired and worn out and you feel like God is just this agitated master, he is just putting burden upon burden upon you, just know that that is not true. And if you feel like you've got to just keep impressing him and impressing him and impressing him, come to him right now in faith and just say, I I give up. I quit. I accept your grace. I accept the gospel of Jesus. I accept Christ. Come to him right now and just put your faith fully in him, even if you got off and say, Lord, I'm I'm not trying to perform the gain, acceptance. I'm going to obey out of acceptance. Just tell him right now if that's, that's what's going on in your heart. And those of you who are tired in your sin, you're wearied with your own idolatry, whether it is sexual morality, whether maybe, maybe you got got drinking, maybe it's eating, maybe it's just your, your, what you do with your time, maybe you're just way working too crazy, trying to please people, but you're, you're just tired from your own idolatry. Just right now, come to Jesus for forgiveness. Come to Him and find your rest in him. Just just talk to him right now about what's going on. And those of you in here who the effects of the sin of this world is just killing you in your life right now, you would say it's not good and you... You this this book is just yeah, that would be what you would say. You're facing the struggles. Just just tell him right now that you need rest, that you can't fix it, that you can't make things work, that it's just bad right now, and you and you need his rest and his peace. Just just come to him right now and express express that you need his rest. Lord Jesus, may we continue to come to you, not just today, but throughout the week and find rest in you and peace in you, salvation in you, comfort in you, healing in you, just your, your providence guiding our lives. And then we'll take your yoke upon us and be happy about it and rejoice and give you praise. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.